This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show. Hold the back page. Manchester City have scored and won at Tottenham. That victory ahead of another routine outing against Burnley extends the record to six wins in a row domestically and no defeats in just under two months. You know that theory, that City click in the second half of the season? Well, maybe this is it all clicking. On today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll reflect on both of those results and those performances. Plus, we'll take a look ahead to the upcoming tie with Brentford. We'll hear from Mike from the Ealing Road podcast, who can tell us all about the Bees and their season so far. And this game is also part of Green Football Weekend, so we'll hear from Katie from Pledge ball about what can be done to make the sport more sustainable. All of that on the way, I'm David Mooney and with me this week is City fan Chris Higginbottom. Hey, hope you're alright. Not too bad, thanks Chris. And presenter for 442, Adam Monk. Hello. Hello. Adam, you well? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Good, good. Chris, we'll complete the circuit, are you well? Yeah, I am actually. I said it was some surprise because... Uh... Shocked yourself there? Yeah, yeah, it's been, been a long grim uh, winter so far with uh, illnesses but I am currently fully fit much like <laughs> our our squad which is also refresh, refreshingly in good health. Yeah well if I wasn't going to crowbar something else in before that that would be a great segue into the opening uh, part of the show but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway because I had the intrusive thought of uh, trying to come up with an environmentally friendly City 11 after interviewing Katie from Pledge Ball this week um, but then all I could think about was uh, Eco Lewis so um, <laughs> let's let, let's have your suggestions Chris. I know well, you've been thinking long and hard about this. Well, yeah, I've probably it's one of those things I just couldn't stop like thinking about it. I mean, Eco Lewis is a belter. Uh, I was Thank thinking you. maybe as the manager you could have Kevin Vegan. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works. Um, goalkeeper, uh, pretty tricky. Frank Swift box. <laughs> Basically, those little boxes you put in your houses to promote uh, Swift nests. It's all, you know. Or part of the uh, environment. It Scott Carson not allowed. No, that's not really very good, is it? <laughs> well, Charlie um, Charlie on Twitter suggested stop, uh, Scott Carbon Offset. So that's good. Is it good? They're all terrible, aren't they? <laughs> They're all rubbish. I mean, I've got, I've got, I've got I'll, I'll try and uh, I won't spend too much time on it, but but Richard Vegehill, <laughs> a really really tenuous one at centre half. Kakaba Trophic Cascadadzi. If what? you know about Trophic, what trophic Cascades. I don't know what they are. <laughs> trophic Cascades. Yeah, it's it's shit. I get it. Um, <laughs> I've got um, Wind Farm Davis. Wind Davis, yeah, that old. Mm, yeah. Um, <laughs> low emission, right, Phillips? Low emission. <laughs> uh, Adam, and, I, uh, I, I, I hope yours are better than this, mate. Uh, well, <laughs> I've, only got, I've only got a couple more. I've got uh, I quite I quite like this one. Emmanuel Adebayo-Diversity. That's quite good. That's quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolls into that one. Yeah, I'll take that. And my favourite one, which is the simplest one, is AD Bike. <laughs> which is yeah. a, a really obvious contraction once you realise that his full name is actually Adrian Mycicle. <laughs> yes. Um, Adam, over to you. Give us your best. Well... Well, you asked me this the other day in prep for the podcast, and I just didn't get the memo, did I? Because the first thing I said was Kevin Deforestation, which is the opposite. Of, <laughs> it's not a pun. Of, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's, it's also not, but, you know, it's the opposite of being environmentally friendly. So I think I've come up with a, roughly a five-a-side team, but Good. we've got a well, Bert Trash Cannon goal instead of Trout Man, <laughs> you know. Uh, 
Or, or you can have, well, we've got a substitute keeper, actually. We've got a Joe Heart of Gold, brackets, because he recycles. So that can go in as well. Um, <laughs> wow. Then, then uh, Ma- Michael Brown Bin, he can go in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's good, I like that. David Solar instead of Silver. David Solar. Uh, Solar, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Sol, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, And then Giovanni. So, like, with a little geo (laughs) geography. It doesn't work, does it? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Um, What? We, well, I'll nick I, another one. I'll nick. Another. On. I saw one. I saw one on Twitter, which was quite good. Which was recycling Harland, which works. Oh, see, we we had on on Twitter. We had uh, Francis Lee cycling uh, from uh, Ray Burge. That was uh, I enjoyed that one. Um, I, I also, as I was walking to the game uh, against Burnley, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't kind of get the intrusive thought out of my head of uh, Dixon or Kelvin CO two who, um, and I just I just started chuckling to myself as I was walking through the crowd, and I could tell that that people were like, "What's what's this guy on?" It's just because I'm thinking of uh, Kelvin CO two who, and that works on another level because Kelvin is obviously a measure of temperature as well. It is, so. it is. Oh, nice. Yeah, but yeah, these are like the ones. This is the team they'd be playing against. I think. Yeah, these names. Like yeah, Cole, Cole Palm Oil. Was in that team as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll run through some others that we had sent in. Um, so uh, Dan Burke sent us Quorn Gota and Spencer Prius, um, <laughs> which uh, both work quite well. Uh, Richard Burns uh, gave us uh, Peter Reichmichael um, and <laughs> uh, Sunji Hybrid, uh, both nice. of which I hadn't said out loud until this moment, and so uh, it, uh, it hadn't clocked just how silly they were. Uh, and Bob Toole sent us um, Carlos Tevez. Um, yeah, so he's uh, we've had a few from Twitter. Um, we've had Charlie Scott Carbon Offset. Uh, Nick sent us uh, Paul Hydroelectric Power. Uh, Chris just sent us Kyle Walker, which like it works. It works. It, yeah, it doesn't need doesn't need changing at all. Um, Sean Pickles sent us Jack Greenlish. Uh, we also had a Jack Treelish as well, but I think Greenlish works better. <laughs> um, uh, ben Spiller sent us uh, Alvaro Net Zero. Um, I like that. Yeah, that, like that works. That. And I'm I'm not sure where I stand on this one from Urban Space One because he sent us EV Lomas, which only really works if you if you call him Stevie Lomas. And I'm not sure he was a Stevie, was he, Chris? Um, I don't know. Was he just Steve? I I think just Steve, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, like no no one's ever gone like Stevie Sidwell. Yeah, scored a great goal there. But people did maybe say Keegan called him. Did he was only under Keegan? Maybe the managers called him Stevie. Yeah, maybe. Would it have been, it would it have been Horton at that time? Yeah, possibly. possibly yeah. So I'm I'm just thinking maybe 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 Evie Island would work better because I think people mm. did call Stephen Island Stevie at various points. But I, I don't know. I don't know. We've had we've had our fun. Well, that's... We've really spread awareness there, haven't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're... <laughs> We've set a standard for the rest of the show there as well, which is going to be, whew, yeah. it's going to be tough to uh, <laughs> to rise above that. I always, I always say, if you set the bar low, then uh, you can uh, you can always clear it. But you never know. You never know. Looking forward, we've got about seven and a half minutes in, and we've uh, we've not done anything serious yet. So uh, let's get to the actual football. Um, tripping up over that bar. Yeah, for the uh, for the twenty twenty three twenty four season, the Blooming Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King. Sport venues are showing every televised city fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get closer to the action. We'll be previewing the Brentford game a bit later on. That'll be the next city game on at your local Green King pub. This season, Green King has launched the Green King Sports Instagram page too. It's home to fan content deals and competitions throughout the season. We've already done some video stuff for them on there. So go and check out my ugly mush if you really want to. Uh, They've also given away Champions League final tickets and 
signed shirts, so you don't want to miss out on that. Drop them a follow on Instagram, and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, let's talk about uh, Spurs and Burnley then. Um so, I mean, the first thing to do, think, uh, Chris, I think, is uh, to have a bit of a sit rep because I mentioned six games uh, winning oh, uh, a sit rep situation report. Okay. Never heard that before? No. Well, we're going to have a sit rep. Um, so, no, I, I HN. Yeah. Uh, what's IHN? I have not. I, oh, you have not. Are we, are just, we just going to speak in, in. Just doing pointless abbreviations. Yeah. Oh, you started it. <laughs> All right, fine. Um, <laughs> I, I've lost control of this show already. Um, <laughs> through to the FA Cup uh, with a tie away at Luton, which isn't ideal, but good to win at Spurs. So, swings and roundabouts. Yes, really good to win at Spurs. Um, Luton, it's not great, is it? But it could be a lot worse. But winning at Spurs, it's like. You just didn't think it was going to happen, did you? Absolute curse broken. Yeah, right, there's, some, there's somebody somewhere whose uh, cauldron's just cracked in half. I think. Yeah, monkey hand. Monkey hand doesn't have any more fingers pointing upwards, does it? That they've got there. Um, <laughs> Burnley as well, Adam. A comfortable evening in the end, and one that uh, was just kind of. It was really nice because there was no stress about it whatsoever. The stress was getting to the ground in that weather. Yes, uh, that was all I, it I was really. That, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was like we were just in fifth gear, weren't we? Fifth gear, and I mean, I saw a stat when it was two nil at half time that in the last thirteen games we played against Burnley, the aggregate scores forty five one. So that kind of paints a picture that they always just roll over over for us anyway, and we kind of expected that uh, from the offset. So yeah, it was nice. Uh, the carbon think, offset. offset. Yeah, carbon yeah. offset. Oh, we're doing this whole show. <laughs> no, oh, I didn't mean man. to, but we might end up doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but like, it, you know, overall, uh, they're going down. We're in a title charge, expected result. But I think the, uh, the more telling indication that we've turned a corner this season and they're going to put a bit of a run together was winning at Tottenham and scoring at Tottenham, more mm. importantly. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris, five points off the top with a game in hand at this stage. Uh, 16 points from the last 18. As Adam says, it feels like there's a little bit of a run starting here, doesn't it? And it's one of them where you can't, uh, you never know that a run has started until you're deep into it. But like we could be starting one here. Yes, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> uh, it's, it, obviously, you don't know, like you say, you don't know if you're on one because it isn't a run until you've won loads of games. <laughs> but yeah. I'm, Having a full squad to pick from is massively advantageous in that as well. Um, time will tell. I could do with that. We could do a win at Anfield if they. If, whoa, if whoa, whoa! Don't go mad. We've won at Spurs this season. Don't go mad. I know, but when you're talking about like, you know, game in hands all well and good if you if you win that, but clawing points back on Liverpool is best done by clawing points off Liverpool, isn't it? Um, but the the fixtures, the upcoming fixtures, don't look too bad well I think the thing is Liverpool's due uh, coming up so I think to be honest give it five or six match days I think we'll be ahead of them before we go to Anfield they've got to go to like Ars- oh, they've got Arsenal next then like Brentford away uh, it's a bold claim <laughs> we've, yeah. we've, we've also got Brentford away soon <laughs> yeah but we are better than them and that's what's important I honestly right I just still am very very confident we'll win the league because we've done it against imperious Klopp sides and even though these are top this isn't that honestly I will say it now they're not they're not that good they're not <laughs> neck on the block <laughs> neck on the block they don't have enough in midfield to sustain this how do you think it's going to affect them um, this Klopp announcement I mean uh, obviously it's affected the fans like 
I yeah. thought we were, uh, I thought we were, we'd gone to war with all the explosions. I could hear, but it was just Stouser's <laughs> heads in the distance. <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll galvanise them. I'm more concerned about, especially with that. I don't know if you saw that penalty call last night with uh, Conor Gallagher going down at the start. There was something. There was something ominous about that. Like I don't. I'm not a tinfoil hat person, but I just hope to God that they don't start waving away everything against mm. Liverpool now so the clock gets his swan song. Like, oh, that's get, what I yeah. don't want. They're getting them decisions again, are they? I see. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Conor Gallagher one, I didn't. I could see why that wasn't given, but there was one later on where I think it was Van Dyke just, just kicked the standing <laughs> foot of yeah. somebody who was in the box ready to receive the ball. He just booted his foot from under him and... He waved it away like so assuredly. It was just it was insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, just context-wise as well, Chris. Um, Arsenal are level on points with City, but have played a game more. Um, it's interesting that neither of you have, men- have really kind of worried too much about Arsenal. Are you, are you not that uh, not that bothered by them? Uh, I've always been more worried about Liverpool. Um, even when Arsenal are top, I, I, it felt that. Liverpool have got more now, more experience and more, uh, well, a better, a better squad, I think. Mm. Uh, I don't know what it is about Arsenal, but they just don't seem as convincing. And maybe that's a really good position for them to be in, not being worried about, but still there or thereabouts. Uh, I suppose it's, you know, disrespect them at your peril, but I've always seen Liverpool as the greater threat. Yeah, and uh, just to kind of push back on uh, your not that good on Liverpool, Adam. Uh, like I, I mentioned, City sixteen points from the last eighteen. Liverpool fourteen from the last eighteen. So not bad either. Yeah, they've got three world class players. No, four with Allison as well. Like honestly, calm down, guys. We'll be fine. Okay, tell okay. us. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm coming back to you if we're not. So yeah, we'll uh, hold you yeah, to that. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about uh, specifically the games this week then, because uh, we've talked a little bit about City getting a little bit into rhythm. Um, Adam, it feels like the like we're, we're starting to get a handle on what City's style will be this season. It, like it feels like there's a bit more identity in the team this week. Yeah, and I think that's just that's a given given the absentees that we've had throughout the season. You know, we play a certain way when Haaland's up front. He's the focal point. We don't have to find goals from elsewhere as much. When he's been out, we had to find that solution. Foden stepped up, Bernardo with a few goals, even like Oscar Bob, you know, scoring a couple, Alvarez. So, yeah, now with everyone back, I think we'll, you know, it's hard to know whether we're going to revert back to what we did last season with Stones inverting. Mm. I think time will tell with that, mainly now because we've got Doku in the team who's obviously going to play a lot of games and he's not a possession and ball retention heavy winger yet. I feel like he's ahead of the pecking order of Grealish right now uh, and rightly so based on merit. So that that will change things slightly. Uh, the, The only tweak that I would make from what I'm seeing now, I think we are seeing more patterns of play and I still think this is just like, Rodri's the best midfielder I've ever seen at City. He seems to be able to just play in fourth game most games, particularly last night, which is helping us massively. But I would be swapping uh, Vardiol and Ake round. I'd probably put Vardiol at centre-half just because of his pace and his height. I think Ake last season was so good at locking down one-on-one right-wingers like Salah, Saka, Elise, whoever. Vardiol's the only player, I would say, who's like not quite there yet, which is understandable because it's his first season. But to me, because he likes to go to ground so much, he seems a bit more of like a, a Diaz and a, a natural fit as centre-half. So I'm not too sure yeah. why Pep's not doing that. 
But other than that, we're we're slowly, slowly getting there. Uh, yeah. I think Newcastle and Spurs were the turning points. Yeah, I was I was wondering, Chris, how much of this is simply the fact that I don't even know if it's that De Bruyne is back on the pitch, but more that he's available again and that he's just in and around the squad, and it, it just kind of feels like it's given everybody a lift. Totally agree. Even when he came on against Huddersfield, he just looks so much more in control. His passes uh, just have more, just more oomph to them. I'm struggling for the right word again, <laughs> but like it's just, yeah, just his whole demeanour, and he's, he just seems like a much better footballer than everybody on the pitch. Much like Rod- Rodri does, although Rodri, as um, as you were saying earlier, he, he he was almost like a passenger last night. Rodri, he didn't do anything. It was like uh, it was like he was shadowing, like in a, in in lieu of a, a new job, just like an observer. Even though he scored <laughs> and like spread the ball about a bit, he, he just he just casually strolled about the place. He didn't need to get involved. Yeah. And with De Bruyne, he, he played just, with slippers in a dressing gown, wasn't he? That's, he was, yeah. yeah. He's like yeah, Basil Rathbone smoking jacket. It's <laughs> just uh, but there was a moment for De Bruyne where the ball um, was bouncing high in the air and. He just read the spin and the height of the ball before the player he was kind of jostling with held the player in that position because he could see the ball was going to drop over both their heads, bounce in a favourable way if he just kept the player where he was. And you could just see it play out and you could, I could see that he'd worked this out before the Burnley player. The Burnley player didn't have a clue. De Bruyne got the ball away calmly, just moved it on and the Burnley players kind of stood there spinning going, what's just happened? And I thought to myself... De Bruyne knew what was happening before it had happened. You don't seem to know what's happened, even though it's just happened to you. Have you learned from that, or are you just that inferior to Kevin as a as a footballer? It's just head and shoulders above. It's so palpable. It's a joy to see. Yeah. What do you think he adds to performances, Adam? That because uh, because like City have coped fine without him and and without Haaland as well. But at the same time, you notice a difference when they're both there. He's just a special player. Like, there's not, he's honestly, he's in the echelons of like your Zidans and that level of player. It's not uh, hyperbole to say that at all. I know what I see, and like, he is that good. <laughs> like, it's just simple as that. Like, he's honestly, for me, in terms of foreign players who played in the Premier League, he's second behind Omri. Um, in terms of just like natural ability, making it look like it's men against boys. And I think, like, tactically, with him coming back into his team now, I made a bit of a video on this the other day because I think we were about to see probably the best version of him because in his first couple of seasons, uh, when we started winning things under Pep, he had Sterling and Sane on the left and right and they'd hug the touchlines. And what De Bruyne was good at, obviously you remember that assist against Stoke where he slid it through to Sane. He puts it in an area, but it's with perfect weight and precision where someone rapid can get on the end of that pass. And he's not been able to play those passes in recent years because we signed Grealish and Mahrez who were inside cutting wingers. So that was taken out of his game. But now we've got Doku back in. It gives him the license to play those passes slid in behind again. And I think he did do one against Burnley last night where like on the turn he volleyed it like into space quite late on in the game to Doku. It was an amazing pass. And then now with Haaland in the team as well, he's also got the ability to just put those crosses on a sixpence to some big gangly orc up front who will just slam it in the net. So like he's he's got the best of both worlds and he's got the most variety of assists I think he's ever going to be able to have in this current team. So I think now he can get away with like, obviously managing his body because he's older. But if we use him right and use him sparingly enough, I think we're going to get the best out of him with the with the personnel we've got now. But just as an individual, like he can score from range. He can. He's just so strong as well, two footed. Just a joke of a bloke. 
A joke of a bloke. He looks like he's bulked out a bit as well. We were yeah, saying last yeah. night. He's been in the gym while he's been uh, recuperating. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose if he loses his, if he loses a bit, you naturally lose a bit of pace as you get older. Maybe he's thought. I need to be a bit stronger mm. um, holding my ground. So, I think Aguero did that a bit, didn't he? Like towards his latter years. Yeah, but he seemed to like just barrel out like a staffy. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just his natural like his genetics belly. just started fighting against uh, his, his fitness <laughs> regime. Yeah, his gym work. <laughs> yeah. Um, just while we're on De Bruyne, um, I just interested, Chris, how you see him fitting with with Foden um, in in the coming weeks because. There's this clamour to get them both in the team and both playing centrally as well. Guardiola said mm. it can happen and that they can do that. Um, we tend to see that Foden plays wide and, and drifts inside. Um, and at, at the same time, I'm kind of wondering, like, is there a real problem if that's what Foden does and he's really good at doing that and it helps De Bruyne play really well and Foden's playing really well? Like, like If they're all playing really well, does it matter? Of course it doesn't. I mean, they can, of course they can play together as well. You, you might write his name on a the right hand side of a piece of paper or you know put him somewhere because you have to you can't put them all in a big jumble you have to put them somewhere of course they they interlock and they overlap and they cut inside and the game ebbs and flows and allows space for people to move in from whatever designated position they might have been allocated um yeah of course they can play together do you think they still write the team sheet on a piece of paper or do you reckon he like texts it out these days <laughs> Probably both. Um, like I mean, pins it up got, on the dressing room wall. Then well, they've, got, they've got they've got the boards in there, aren't they? With like the, uh, you know, yeah, the, the he, he, does it, he does it like I'm a celebrity or something. Sat in the changing room day before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sits them all down and, and says uh, like it one of you, you, one of you. It might be you. One of you will <laughs> be playing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think he probably just shouts at them what they're gonna where they're gonna be jumping from foot to foot, gesticulating <laughs> at a, a tactics board. Yeah. Um, Adam, for obviously nice. for, <laughs> for for Foden, um, like like Chris says, like drifting in from wide, like for you, do you want to see him more centrally, or do you just want to see him on the pitch, full stop? Uh, probably the latter. I think, like in terms of, I don't know, because yeah, this like this new this new argument now is, can you play De Bruyne and Foden at eight? And really, like the closest comparison that you can think of is probably the Centurions when it was like Silver and De Bruyne as the eights. Yeah. So you've got Fernandinho is as good as Rodri. De Bruyne is De Bruyne still. Um, and then it's it's like, does Foden have the qualities that David Silver had in that eight position to make it work? And then does... Players though, like, aren't they? yeah. Exactly, exactly. And this is the thing that like, I'm not so sure personally. I think Silver, for me, as gifted as Foden is, Silver had a higher football in IQ in terms of being able to take the sting out of a game, not lose possession, know when to play a risky pass. Uh, Foden, that will come with age. Like Foden is still young. So for me, he's best because of his age and how sprightly he is and how good he's at beating a man. Um, I would still personally favour him out wide, but it's important to get him on the pitch. And I think England are going to have this problem as well, mm. like with, you know, with Bellingham in the team and whatnot, like where, because you, you can't not play Foden. He is, he is too gifted. Sometimes it just comes down to how good are you at football? And he is too good to not be on the pitch. So for me, yeah, it, it depends on the opposition. We've obviously lost Gundogan, that sort of box-to-box knack. Um, and Kovacic haven't really replaced that. So Foden replaces the goals at least but maybe for me I'd I think let's say we're playing 
Real Madrid later on in the season, I think it might make more sense to put Bernardo in the eight and maybe Foden out wide. But I'm not basing that off much more than just a hunch, to be yeah. honest. Vibes, vibes yeah, is, is vibes. the way forward. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, when we've got when we've got the ball in the final, <clears throat> the final third as well, though, and Foden might be you know drifting up the the right flank with the ball in his left foot. The way the defence racks up to try and prevent that kind of naturally dictates a lot of the time for him to, you know, cut across the edge of the box. And the way we try and pull defences apart and create space, he, he, you know, he's naturally inclined to, to come across the pitch and be involved yeah, in, yeah. in the middle. Yeah. It's, it's just like, it's inevitable. Um, the way the way we kind of tease defences, it's just, I'm absolutely fine with it. Absolutely yeah. fine with it. And he said himself that he's fine with it as well. So, you know, I just... Absolutely, I think what will yeah. help him as well is issue. like with um with Doc if Doku and Haaland start playing together, like they're both so good. Like obviously we know Haaland sucks defenders in towards him because he's such a presence, but with Doku now, right backs are having to double up on him because he's definitely skinning one of the two people he's going past. So there's there's hmm. a lot of like doubling up on Haaland and Doku, which is gonna just free up a lot of space for someone like Phil. He wants to drift inside. So I think it'll end up I think that'll end up being the front three, Phil on the right, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's quickly touch on uh, Matthias Nunes, uh, Chris, because um, against, but I mean, again, in, in inverted commas, it was only Burnley, but um, he seems to be getting it a bit more in the sense of like, there were some lovely takes, some lovely turns, and then he was doing really well carrying the ball forward. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to see that from him after, after kind of a bit of a hit and miss first half of the season. Yeah, I totally agree. I I was really harsh on him. I think last time I was on the show as well. I think I accused him of being a coward, which was <laughs> possibly way out of order. So uh, apologies for that, uh, Nunez. But yeah, he, he looked really good. Um, still, not um, it's not the sort of quality of opposition or standard of game where you can really say you know, nail your colours to the mass with him, but you can only ask for players to to impress against the team that they're in front of and, and to progress in the in terms of the performances. And that was definitely a, a case of that last night. I was screaming at him to release the ball before he did, but you know, for the Alvarez header. Yeah. And uh he just did exactly the right thing, was really calm, waited, waited, waited. And uh yeah, it was a really nice cross and uh, tidy little finish. Once Alvarez had lost his lost his man, <laughs> did you see how gutted he was, the defender, to uh, to let him go? He absolutely cursing himself because he had a little look at him. He thought, "Yep, I've got you." And oh, you've got just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just really simple run round the back and in. Uh, yeah, it was a great goal. Yeah, and good from Nunes. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. 
Adam, just sticking with the midfield um, and uh, reflecting the game at Spurs as well, because um, I watched that game on TV and Nathan Ake was named man of the match. Understandable, got the goal, that sort of thing. Uh, did play really well, to be fair. Kovacic. Uh, but Kovacic, match, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, first game where he seems like he was he, he was reminiscent of Gundogan a bit, I guess, is the best way to probably put it. Like I think the, the problem with him, he was tidy on the ball uh, and he's showcased that for the majority of the season. He's had a couple of sloppy games, but really it was like that knack of when to arrive in the box. And I think early on in the season, he was hell-bent on like driving with the ball for no reason, which is something that I think Nunes has got to get out his game a bit because he keeps just thinking he's Yaya Torre for no apparent reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just seemed to have a lot more. Nous is probably the word I'd use against Tottenham. Like it was just a lot more, like he had a lot more synergy with the players around him. I don't really know. Seems to be taking less risky decisions yeah. like it seems to be eager to impress early on and take a decision where I'm going to I'm going to strive to do this difficult piece of skill or go past this man as well when I don't really need to and it doesn't come off and you think well why have you done that you've lost the ball again and he seems to have sort of taken that out of his game a bit and uh, yeah Seems to be yeah. seeing uh, the results of that. Rode back on that a little bit. Um, and Adam, the, the other player, I mean, we've touched on him already in that uh, Haaland came back into the game. Um, it was, I mean, my favourite moment of the night, City won, mm-hmm. City won 3-1, but my favourite moment of the night was his air shot and uh, the fact that he was just <laughs> chuckling to himself as he was sprinting around trying to win it back. We've all been there, haven't we? I mean, it, <laughs> it's probably, it's, it's like, I, I reckon, I'm hoping it's like the evolution of a Pokemon or something. Because remember when he missed that uh, chance against Liverpool in the Charity Shield and started pissing himself? Yeah. That was because that was he knew he was going to score 52 goals. So <laughs> I think this, with this one, maybe he knows he's going to score 104 more or something. Like, he's, it, it's powered him up. But uh, yeah, like, listen, he, he came on, the team were playing in fifth gear. It was freezing Baltic conditions and no one was trying. So, like, I'd have probably been half-assed as well if I was Haaland, to be yeah. honest. So, yeah. yeah. He, uh, after the game, Chris, uh, it was put to Guardiola about uh, whether it would give him a headache because of, obviously, Alvarez got two goals and uh, Haaland is now back available. And Guardiola just quite dismissively said, well, they can play together. Um, do, you, do you see that happening alongside like De Bruyne and Foden playing together and all this sort of like, I, I don't know how all these players can play together. I don't see it happening often, um, just by virtue of the fact that you want to rest one of them. Um, I think I was surprised Alvarez played quite as much as he did. Yeah, he's not allowed last rest. Night. No, it's, <laughs> he's not stopped, has he, for like about two years? Just games, games, games. Hopefully uh, that doesn't cause any issues. But I don't think he'll necessarily start them together very much. Um, but in the interest of, like I say, resting them, but maybe throwing them both on if we if we need to close something back, possibly. But I mean, what do you think? Well, just especially as uh, the the roles that Alvarez has been playing over this season, he's basically replaced De Bruyne for a bit and then Haaland for a bit, and now that yeah. they're both back available, I wonder if his if his role suddenly gets a little bit more diminished. But he scored twice, so it's a really like it's a it's a really hard thing to say. Listen, you know, great great brace, mate, on your birthday, but you know, off you come, come and have, 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 yeah. have a rest, yeah. Well, he's earned it, hasn't he? I didn't really like him in midfield. It didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a good fit, was it? Didn't feel quite right. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, since that, uh, I mentioned it, and it was uh, Julian Alvarez's birthday when he got a brace. Um, let's do this. It's a quiz on City players who have scored on their birthday. <laughs> <laughs> 
A quiz. Thank you. Spoiling us, Ambassador. There we go. Okay, you know the drill by now. Six questions, uh, three each. Take a pick of the numbers. Chris, I'm going to let you go first. One to six. What do you want? Um, three. Question number three. Okay, Please. how old did Raheem Sterling turn on the day he became City's youngest birthday goal scorer when he got a brace in a 4-2 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach in 2015? Oh, 2015, what is he now? 20? Oh, so close, 21. Oh, I was going to say 21 first as well. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid brain. Yeah. You were, you were literally a day out because that was the day he turned 21 and he'd have been 20 the day the day before, wouldn't he? So there you go. Well, that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, tw- he's 20 <laughs> until he's 21. We all know this. Um, Adam, over to you. Uh, one, two, four, or five, four, five, uh... or six left. Numero five, please. <laughs> Numero five. <laughs> um, uh, how many different birthdays did Niall Quinn score on for City? Uh, his birthday, you mean? Yeah, his birthday. How many, yeah, his, how, many, how many times did he score on his birthday in different games? Uh, Three seems like a nice rounded number, but that also seems too much. So I'm going to say two. It is two. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, City 2-1 Coventry on uh, the 6th of October 1990. And then three years later, on the 6th of October 1993, scored in a win over Reading 2-1. At, the more you uh, know. Yeah. yeah. So uh, 1-0 to Adam. Chris, over to you. Two, please. Number two. Okay. Against which team did Francis Lee score on his birthday in the 1970 European Cup Winners' Cup? Uh, Can I give you a hint on this one? What? No. Name the most famous game in the 1970 European Cup Winners' Cup. Oh, is that the year, is that the year we won it? Yes, it is. Oh, shit, Gornick. It is Gornick in the final, the 29th of April, 1970. Sorry, I had that down as 69. I thought this was the, the year we were supposed to terrorise Europe and and didn't win it but that would be the European Cup yeah. because we won the league yeah. yes Gornick yes. Gornick 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 yeah there we go uh, Adam over to you four uh, number four scoring in a 6-0 win over Portsmouth in 2008 which captain became the first birthday goal scorer at the City of Manchester Stadium Richard Dunn probably. it is Richard Dunn yeah 21st of September 2008 6-0 over Portsmouth he got the second one um, so yeah 2-1 Adam over to you Chris you are left with uh, number one or number six. Well, I'd rather be on the six side of a six-one choice, so I'll go for six. Indeed. Okay, number six. Uh, before Julian Alvarez scoring on the twenty-eighth of June, twenty twenty, during Project Restart, who was the last City player to score on their birthday? Say that a bit again. Okay, before Julian Alvarez, because he is obviously now the last City player to score on his birthday. Yeah. Um, on the 28th of June 2020, during Project Restart, who was the last player to score on their birthday? Aguero. Nice, nice thought. I Adam, I, 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 I think you I, were working I, for the club at the time. I, what, I, th- I think it was my first ever game that I presented. Right, I, I think it was... Oh, uh, Right, now I'm going to take a stab. I think it was Riyad Mahrez. No. No. Kevin De Bruyne. Was it? Was this against Arsenal or Burnley? It was against Newcastle in the FA Cup. Okay. Oh, that was my second. That was that was a game where Steve Bruce came up to me post match. That was it. Yeah. Well, was... sorry. Well, I, before we get the last question, because you've won the quiz already, so let's uh, let's let's find out more about this. What what happened yeah. with Steve Bruce? <laughs> you might remember it. I, I was doing a. Uh, I was interviewing De Bruyne post match, and then 
Steve Bruce, it was my first ever post-match interview because he'd scored. And then I was nervous as anything because uh, I was told with five minutes advance. And then the first question I asked him was like, someone along the lines like, Kevin, you know, 2-0 win, happy with today's performance. And then as he started like waffling his answer, I saw Steve Bruce like walking down the touchline, like really like in a sort of proud stance, like he was laughing to himself. And I was like, what has he got up his sleeve here? Please don't, please don't. And then he uh, came over, completely gate-crashed the interview, said De Bruyne was joining Newcastle uh, and that he wasn't leaving. And then they started, like, joking around and stuff. And, like, it went viral, but because I was that nervous, I didn't really know what to say. I was just, like, <laughs> shell-shocked. Um, Get out of my interviews, my yeah. first interview. <laughs> yeah. But, it, uh, yeah, it went down really badly with Newcastle fans because that was the time when, like, Ashley was still in charge. They'd yeah. just been spanked by us and he was cracking jokes post-match with, like, yeah. our best player. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, fun times. Fun times indeed. Well, let's finish on a fun time because uh, question number one is for you. Um, who is the only City player to score a Premier League hat-trick on their birthday? Uh, I mean, probably Aguero. No, it's not. Carlos uh, Tevez. I mean, ah, it's a, it is a, it's an Argentinian, a short Argentinian forward. So, yeah, uh, he scored good. all three in uh, the City 3-0 win over West Brom on the 5th of February 2011. I remember. Yeah, there we go. Carlos so, Tevez. Carlos Tevez, yes, indeed. So, uh, Adam is our winner today. 2-1. Congratulations. Ooh. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like such a loser. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Blue Moon Podcast, and we're very sorry about that. Okay, so time now to look ahead to the game with Brentford, and let's start by getting a view from the Brentford side of things. I've been speaking to Mike Johnston from the Ealing Road Podcast, and I started by asking if he was worried by recent form. I think the only thing that isn't keeping us out of the bottom, th- well, that's keeping us out of the bottom three, is the, is the form of the three teams that have come up from the Championship last year. Uh, Luton look like the only team with a little bit of fight in them. I feel like Sheffield United are a bit too far gone and Burnley don't get results that often. But my assessment of the season so far is, I mean, it's been pretty grim. We've had injuries from top to bottom, key players out. Like Ivan Tony's obviously suspended because of gambling charges, but he's back now. But I'm talking about people like Rico Henry, who's been vital since he joined us in the championship. Aaron Hickey as well. Matty Jensen's been out for long spells, as has Kevin Sharder and Brian Abumo. It's It's been... It's been bleak. The injury list gets bigger and bigger and uh, you can kind of see that in the pattern of results. We started off quite well with a 2-2 draw against Spurs and then a 3-0 win over Fulham in the second match day. But when the injuries started to come, they didn't stop and uh, that's that's reflected in the league table. So I'm, I'm glad we've got Ivan Tony back now and I'm hoping that our fortunes will turn around. Yeah, now we're we're talking um, before City have played Burnley and before uh, Brentford travel to Spurs. Um, so those those games aside, we'll we'll find out more about those um, later on. Um, like how's the form been? It, it feels pretty bleak at the moment. Yeah, I mean the game against Nottingham Forest, which we won three two in the last game, was our first win in eight. I think we'd lost seven out of eight with a draw in between. So the form the form was worrying. I think we all kind of said that we wouldn't go down due to the, as I already mentioned, the quality of the three teams below us. Um, but yeah, the form's taken a hit in recent weeks and it was worrying because I think at the start of the season, we were still playing well and maybe that wasn't reflected in the scorelines. We were playing well, but not picking up the points. But then the performances started to dip as we started to lose more and more key players and the alarm bells did start ringing. But I'm, I'm fully confident that we won't go down. Now we've got Ivan Tony back, and I feel like we've strengthened in the right areas in, in January, hopefully get another one over the line before the window shuts. 
And I, th- I think we'll be all right. We've got players coming back within the next couple of months. And obviously, Ivan Tony's our talisman on the pitch, leader and everything. And he, he'll play a massive part in keeping us up if we manage to keep on to him. Keep <coughs> If we manage to hang on to him, sorry. I know never say never in the transfer window, but I'm I'm 99% sure that he's going to stay at Brentford this window. Yeah, he's he's been the big return. Um, how welcome is it to have him back? I mean, his... His role should not be understated at Brentford. He scores a lot of goals, he scored 20 in the Premier League last season. And I think maybe when he came up from the Championship, when we first came out of the Premier League and he only scored 14, people might have thought he was a bit awkward, a bit unorthodox. But I feel like last season, he's he's put those doubters behind him. Um, he's a proper footballer. He's, he's, he's a complete centre-forward. And I feel like the £100 million price tag we've put on him is justified in that 20-goal-a-season Premier League strikers are very hard to come by. But... At the same time, I think it would be a disservice to the rest of the team to say that our form is primarily based off Tony being suspended. Uh, the injuries, I, I would go as far as to say Rika Henry is a more important asset to the team than Ivan Tony in terms of the way that we play. He was such a key component of us being able to play out from the back, of us having an attacking threat down the left-hand side as well as the right. And we've basically completely lost those, flank, those uh, threats down the flanks by losing Rika Henry and Aaron Hickey. And we've become quite rigid in our system and it, we have missed Tony a lot we've we've changed our playing style completely we last season we used to rely on Tony's aerial presence to be able to get us out of trouble and then we'd have willing runners in Brian and Bumo and Yuan Wissa to win the flick on that Tony would win nine times out of ten he was so dominant aerially so we have missed Tony yes but there are other factors involved in in Brentford's position in the table at the moment yeah, I mean, just looking at, at um, kind of that setup and 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 kind of relying on Tony in the air. Um, how do you how do you expect Brentford to to approach this one with City? Because if you think back to the the game at the Etihad ahead of the World Cup last season, that was a big part in in keeping kind of City at bay, and then for Brentford to get in behind City um, with Tony back, is that is that the sort of thing you'd be expecting again now? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, I really thought that we might sort of revert to that kind of goalkeeper finding Tony willing runners in behind against Nottingham Forest but we actually played a back five against Nottingham Forest which surprised me with three centre-halves that are quite comfortable on the ball so so we still tried to play out from the back against Forest um I don't think we'll do that against City I think last year and I love thinking about last year by the way what a, what a day <laughs> <laughs> what a day one of, one of the, my favourite days supporting Brentford I think last let, year let we... me just tell you that was my birthday weekend and uh, <laughs> my birthday party was immediately after that game so uh, thanks for that <laughs> yeah no I mean I- incredible that was if one of if not the best memory that I've had as a Brentford fan um, but I expect the game next Monday to be to be very different we're probably going to set up in a low block and try to hit City on the counter whether Tony will be as a reliable as uh, as reliable as he was last season in terms of those long balls. It's going to be difficult because we, instead of Brian and Boomer and Yuan Wissa, we have against Forrest, we set up with Tony and Neil Mope up top. And Mope has not got the, enough pace to act as that willing runner. Brian and Boomer is injured. Yuan Wissa is at AFCON. So I expect us to probably set up in a five and we'll go with Neil and Tony up top as the two. Um, so, so it would be difficult to kind of use Tony as that out ball in terms of him being able to bring the ball down or head the ball on and bring others into play. Yeah, we've uh, we've obviously talked about um, kind of the injuries and, and availability of players. Now, barring any uh, kind of extra injuries or suspensions against Spurs, uh, who is, who's going to be available for this one and who's in form at the moment for you? Well, the, the big one that came out of Thomas Frank's press conference today, and I, I expect him to be involved against Spurs, is Christian Norgard, 
who was injured in our FA Cup game against Wolves. He's he's our captain. He's Mr. Reliable, 8 out of 10 every game, and he's been one of our best players this season. So that that is a big one. In terms of the people that are still out, there'll be no Brian and Bumo, which will be good news for City fans because he was really good before he got injured this season. As I mentioned, Johan Wissers at AFCON. Uh, Neil Mope is a weird one because Premier League fans will obviously know him as the, the striker that causes mayhem and who didn't live up to the expectations uh, in terms of coming from Brentford, scoring a lot of goals in the Championship, then going to Brighton. Obviously, he scored a few goals for Brighton, but then he went to Everton and his career really plateaued. Um, but at Brentford, he he's one of our own. We, we absolutely adore him. And he, whilst you, whilst I now admit that he's probably not the striker I thought he was when we were watching him in the Championship, I feel like it does play a massive part the fact that he loves the club. Every time he speaks about Brentford, it really comes through about his passion for the club the fans that he loves putting the shirt on and he has been really good since since returning to Brentford I think he's he scored six goals in league and cup and he's assisted three times as well so I'm not saying that he's going to hurt Man City but he knows where the goal is I think his goal against uh, Nottingham Forest I don't know if you saw it on on Sky was a real top quality finish and something that I haven't seen from him in the Premier League but I did see a lot of in the championship he, he took the ball down one touch and then smashes it into the bottom corner with his weak foot. So Neil Mopé's one to watch, but I mean, the big one's Ivan Tony. The the guy, he is, as I mentioned before, just a, a world-class centre-forward, in my opinion. Not the biggest fan of what he says in interviews, but it's hard to dislike someone who is that good at football and scores a lot of goals for your club, knows where the goal is, 20 goals in the Premier League last season, and he's more than that, more than that. And uh, City, whilst I think they'll be able to contain him, if if they're having a tough day, which they did last year, <laughs> last season, I mean, then um, then maybe we can nick something. Yeah. Um, in terms of of kind of your weaknesses as well for for the last few weeks, I mean, wh- where are you worried that that Guardiola and his team will be looking at to to try and exploit? <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> City. <laughs> everywhere. I feel like every team should be worried about how City can hurt them. Um, in terms of Brentford, our, our right hand side depending if we play Christopher Ayer, who is also returning from injury, hasn't played a, a full 90 minutes as of yet. In terms of that right-hand side, we'll, we'll probably start with um, Mads Rosalev, who is good offensively, but doesn't offer much going forward. But he actually did play really well against City uh, at the Etihad when we beat 2-1. So down the right, it might be a problem. But I, I mean, it's like I said at the start, every kind of way that City can hurt you, they will. And uh, the left-hand side might be actually a, a good battle to look out for because Sergio Reguilón, who we signed on loan from Spurs, made a cameo against Nottingham Forest. He won't be available for when we play Spurs uh, tomorrow by virtue of you can't play against uh, your parent club. But that left-hand side battle, whoever City go with down the right, whether it's Foden, Doku or Grealish or whoever that you've got, and you've got loads, that, that will be an interesting battle to look out for, for sure. Yeah. Now uh, we've already mentioned the uh, the game at the Etihad last season. Uh, you won on the last day of the season as well. Uh, can you make it three in a row? What's your what's your score prediction for this one? I, <laughs> I I'm more confident going into the Spurs game just because I think we will have chances to hurt Spurs tomorrow. But I mean to to beat Man City. I, do you know what I said to? So I actually wasn't originally meant to go to the Man City game uh, last season when, when we when we won at the Etihad and I said to so I, I got to, I, I, it was a 12.30 kickoff I think I was busy that weekend and I said to my girlfriend at the time I was like we if we get these tickets we're just going for the day out in Manchester no one goes to Man City and, and beats Man City at the Etihad it, it was a one in a million chance and I, I don't think that it's going to happen again unfortunately for me 
and other Brentford fans. I'm going to go... Uh, I, don't, I don't think we'll get on the score sheet either. I'm going to go 3-0 City. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Mike from the Ealing Road podcast. Um, Chris, let's. Uh, like, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this one. They beat City home and away last season. Uh, away was a bit different. The title was already won last game of the season, that sort of thing. City winding down to the FA Cup final and the uh, and the Champions League final. Uh, the Etihad game though was a was a real. They put in a real decent performance. Are you nervous about this one? A little bit, yeah, um, because. Of the the two defeats last last year last season, but they seem to be ravaged by injury, injuries. I'm not sure what the current state is. I listened to the Brentford interview, and they seem to be the the state of their form is basically governed by the amount of players they've got out. Um, whereas we, on the other hand, as we've already mentioned, getting everyone back, full, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just look kind of imperious at the moment. I, I mean. I can't really see beyond uh, a City win, to be honest. I wouldn't say I was nervous, but I probably will be, um, you know, immediately prior to the match. It's yeah. all, it's all come, well come 7 no, on it's Monday fine, night, yeah. Mooney, it's fine. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'll be absolutely cacking it on, uh, on Monday. Yeah. Uh, Adam, what sort of game are you expecting? Because it never, ever, ever seems to be a nice game against Brentford. No, Thomas Frank's a good manager. He's conservative, defensive, uh, and he knows how to get the best out of Ivan Tony. but that's usually when he's got Visser and Embermo uh, at his disposal, and they're both out for the game. So with that in mind and the fact I feel we've hit our stride, I think it will be a low-scoring game, but like a tuna, like a sort of job-done kind of professional performance that's what i'm expecting as long as yeah. we shut tony down uh you know he's class and he he's a great player yeah and he won't be there next season um but like neil mope isn't a great player as funny as he is uh so yeah uh, I, th- I think like we'll we'll be all right we've just got to be we've got to be strong at defending set pieces because that's really where brentford thrive with ben me uh in particular as long as we do that like there's a reason that they're three four points above the relegation zone this season so uh, again, yeah, I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be all right. Yeah, they played They played up to Tony a lot last season, especially at the Etihad, and it was his flicks that were getting them in behind. Yeah, first um, goal was a set-piece, wasn't it? And yeah, then, yeah, and then did, the, re- did the rest did a proper of the, job on us, didn't it? Yeah, the rest of the game, City just couldn't get a foothold because every time it went up to Tony, he held it up and he, he got other players around him into play and like City just couldn't pen him back for that reason. Um Mike says they've not really been doing that since Tony's return. So I, I'm guessing, Chris, that, that 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 change of style might make you feel a bit better. If they sit in deep, that kind of it kind of suits what City wants to do, even if it even if it's a stodgy game and City have all possession, but it's around the edge of the Brentford box. It kind of feels a lot better, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I just I just think we'll have too much for them. Uh, like, like you're saying, they've got players out and. We just everything seems to be clicking, so I think we'll just uh, we'll just overpower them. Yeah. How do you keep Tony quiet? Do you think ban him? <laughs> um, I mean, he's 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 got he's got the whole package for me. He's great in the air. He's uh, pretty two footed, but he's a really intelligent footballer. Well, on the pitch anyway. Um, yeah, they're not too impressed with what he says off the pitch, are they? No, he's um, he's got a real eye for a pass. Like he's, like you were talking about holding the ball up and bringing other people into play. He's very uh, very impressive. I'd be pretty gutted if he goes to Arsenal because I think he's just the sort of player they need. Yeah, 
Yeah, Adam, for for you, um, like Brentford are on one win in nine at the moment, uh, and that came against Nottingham Forest, who you know also have their troubles and are, are not exactly flying this season. Um, it's not so, so it's like it's not to underestimate them, but they're certainly not the same Brentford that gave City problems last season, are they? No, they're, they're not at all, and like they're sort of they've got a, a high risk, high reward transfer strategy. They bring in unproven players who are young and it's either a hit or miss. And this season, you know, like they, they brought in Nathan Collins, who's done okay, but they've not really built on the squad from last season. They've just had to change the way they play because of Tony's ban. So that's probably what's cost them points. I think if Tony had been playing all season, they'd be, they'd have at least 10 more points. I can mm-hmm. guarantee that. Um, but yeah, I think like you said then a minute ago, like how Brentford aren't playing like that. We've only seen two games with Tony back in the Premier League so far. Uh, and it was against Spurs, who we know how open Postacoglu is and likes to play a high line. Uh, and then Forrest as well, who were shit. So, you know, <laughs> like it's so I think I think Thomas Frank's not an idiot. I think he's probably he knows how good we are and how we can kill off any team so quickly that I think he will probably try and go long to Tony, which isn't something you can necessarily stop. It's just something that you, you've got to hope he has a bit of an off day and that the outlets won't be there for him. And I don't think they will because, like I said, in Burma and Vissa are out. So do you know what? I'm actually, am I allowed to change my prediction from what I said yesterday at I the mean, end of this podcast? You can. Because uh, I've talked myself into thinking we're going to batter them now. Oh God. <laughs> I'll have to go and find the odds a bit better, but we'll, we'll do that a bit later on. Right. Um, uh, Chris, for, for City, I mean, Adam was talking before about potentially swapping over uh, Ake and, and Guardiol. Um, like, who would who would you pick at centre off? Because Diaz hasn't been picked lately. He's been uh, kind of a bit up and down on his form. Stones is is back from injury, but again, didn't do much wrong against Burnley and was and was pretty solid. Um, Ake's always good in the air, and yet last season Tony kept beating him in the air. So it's like it's a really tough one, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'd like to keep playing Stones, um, but alongside him, I mean. I'd... Depends on the formation we're going for, doesn't it? But I'd keep Aki uh, on the left um, rather than Guardiola away. Um, I'd want John Stones on um, Tony, to be honest. Mm. I, I just, I just want to see John Stones uh, playing all the time and dominating. Um, so this is just a sort of challenge that I think he'd uh, get stuck into. Yeah. What about yourself? I um, I have no idea, so I'm going to edit that out. So I asked um, the questions. Yeah, I, I asked the questions here. <laughs> I just think I just think any centre half should should be able to win a header against a striker. That's why you get paid money, mate. So yeah, we'll put anyone there. All right, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> that's his job. Yeah. Get your ears around our bonus episodes every Monday. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. We talked about um, De Bruyne being back in from the start against Burnley. Uh, Wednesday, Monday turnaround, Adam, seems quite reasonable for him to to start this one again, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. uh, And the league is going to take precedence now. So he will start if he's got a big enough of a break. So yeah, I think he'll come in. I think... Kyle Walker will probably come back in because uh, Pep seems to... I, I did a video on Walker the other day and he's playing a lot more games than he was last season. I don't know if that's because of the 
like situation with him staying at the club after the summer or whatnot, but he's playing an awful lot of games. So he will come back in, Bernardo will. Team will pretty much pick itself with like Bernardo and Walker then coming in. I presume Doku will maybe go out. Uh but yeah, other than, oh yeah, Newton sorry, no, Nunes will go out actually. But then yeah, other than that, um it'll pretty much be the same, I'd imagine. Yeah, the uh, the discussion we were having a bit earlier as well, Chris, Haaland and, and Alvarez. Um, what, what do you see happening there? Because Alvarez obviously gets himself a brace uh, against Burnley, but but Haaland's Haaland and he's available again. I think he'll start Haaland and um, yeah. Alvarez will go out. Yeah, he has that, to. Not on, uh, not on form, just to rest him. And just it just makes sense for both of them in terms of Alvarez needing a rest and Haaland needing some game time because he looked like... Um, an absolute cartless lummox last night, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's finish then, Adam, as well with, uh, you mentioned Doku might come out, um, the the good old Doku-Grealish debate, because it, I, I guess it kind of depends on what you want from this game. If there's going to be, there maybe isn't going to be space for Doku to run into. Does that lean more towards it's, Grealish? It's not a Doku-Grealish debate for me anymore, David. It's a Doku-Bob debate for me, uh, personally. I'd start Oscar Bob, uh and I don't see a valid reason to not. Small spaces? Guardiola talks about the small spaces all the time. Tight spaces. He's incredibly gifted with the ball. He's got a better eye for pass than Grealish. He's got a better uh, instinct in the box. He's a better footballer, so he should play ahead of him. Simple. That is a hell of a shout, Chris. I'm going to let you uh, have have another say on that. Doku, Grealish or Bob? Well, it's a really good point uh, raised by by Adam, Um, and I don't think it would do Grealish's... um, kind of desire and stoking a fire in him to to play Bob as well as Bob being justified. I'd, I'd be interested to see him start, actually, yeah. That'd be, that's a good shout. Yeah, He really does have a good eye for a pass. He's got like a silver-esque um, weight of pass on him. Yeah. He, he sees little channels that a lot of players just can't uh, thread the ball through. Yeah. Well, let's get some predictions on the board then. We were close to a win against Burnley, but no dice for the last two games either way. We stay on £690 for the season so far. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles. The winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank support group who are helping Manchester Central Food Bank. Uh, It's Brentford away, so let's get some predictions on the board for that. Mike has gone for a 3-0 City win. That is and £9.90 if he's right. Um, Adam, what are you having? Uh, well, I was going to change to 3-0, but since Mike's took that, I'll just stick with my 2-0. Oh, OK. Well, a 2-0 is 13-2 to and £65 if you are right. Chris? I've gone for 2-1 to the Mighty Blues. 2-1 to the Mighty Blues is 8-1 to and £80 if you are right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, now, City's game at Brentford is the final one that's been allocated for Green Football Weekend. To find out more about the campaign and about what changes the sport might need to go through in order to be more sustainable, I've been speaking to Katie from Pledgeball. I started by asking what the scheme is. So Green Foot Weekend is a competition when you're competing quite simply for the Green Football Weekend Cup. And the way in which you compete for this is by taking and making green choices in support of your clubs to push them up the leaderboard. Now, when I say like green choices, it's things that actually a lot of us do day to day anyway. We just don't realise the impact it has. So we can essentially log that. That then scores you these goals for these clubs. And it pushes them up the leaderboard. So, you know, an example of a green choice might be 
simple as switching to to using a reusable water bottle. You know, we see a lot of fans complaining about the amount of plastic on the pitches, how, you know, players can be given plastic bottles. That's one of the things that we're seeing called out as soon as any club talks about taking any measures to, you know, essentially protect the world around us. And so this is a way of logging the actions that we're taking at home and, and showing showing clubs that we care as well. You know, the number of people getting involved this year, which is year two, has exponentially increased on last year. And we see so many comments from fans calling out their clubs about things that they're doing that they don't agree with that isn't protecting those things that we all value. Yeah, I was going to say, I see City are currently uh, 29th <laughs> in the Green Football Cup table. Um, so as as fans, how can we improve that then? What can we do to uh, to make sure that, uh, that we're logging those goals? I mean, it's very simple. And, you know, you've also got a bit of a derby competition on your hands. Can Man U currently top that table? But it wouldn't take loads of you to simply go to greenfootballweekend.com. Have a look through the recipe book there as well. There's a there's a veggie recipe book there this year with recipes from over 72 uh, players, clubs, club nutritionists, um, celebrity fans. So have a look through there and then go and score a green goal for your for your club. And you can do that by, you know, like I said, making these these green choices essentially. Yeah. Now, um, looking at uh, the fixtures for this weekend, um, City are away at, at Brentford on a Monday night. And uh, I, I guess travel is a big part of of making football more sustainable. Um, it's difficult, I guess, with uh, the game being at such short notice to, to this. But what, what could people do to if they're going to that game to make, make that journey more sustainable? So this is a great, great question. And the one thing I'd say before I answer this is... We often hear uh, that you know the biggest footprint of a club's fi- uh, of a club their club's carbon footprint for a fixture comes from fan travel, and that sounds very much like it's putting the onus on fans. So I think I'd start off by answering that to say the club needs to support fans with making more sustainable choices to travel. Um, you know, I don't know what the Manchester London line is like actually, but. We obviously have train strikes going on at the moment. Maybe people could write to their club to ask them to put on subsidised away transport so everyone travels by coach, for example. Maybe people could club together, write to the local councillor, ask, write to the local MP, ask them to, you know, specifically shout about, A, the cost of travelling by train. You know, it's certainly cheaper to book a flight than it is a plane. But when we look at the impact of that in terms of it affecting our air quality, you know, those things that we hold dear it's it's far more detrimental. And then, of course, where fans can, it's making the choices to take the more sustainable options. But as I've just alluded to, those options have to be there. And there's plenty that we can do to make our voices heard in terms of making those options be given there. Yeah, I think it's important as well not to uh, kind of immediately just look at fans and, and blame fans because then you kind of you, you kind of moving the responsibility away from from the kind of the corporations which could take action. Um, and I guess it's something that that the FA and the Premier League need to be lobbied about more than anything else. Just 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 on, I mean, you, you look at the number of of uh, games that are scheduled at times when fans just find it really difficult to travel, and it's not just about making it easier for fans to travel, but also helping the environment as well, isn't it? Exactly right. I mean, a lot of these fixtures, you know, as you've just kind of mentioned, are scheduled so that the, you know, they wouldn't finish until after the last bit of public transport home is available. So absolutely. And one of the amazing things about football and the governing bodies we have and the clubs is the amount of power they have to influence things. 
the one the thing I would say there and the real power that fans have is that their voice is listened to and is becoming more and more listened to. You know, the fan-led review, the structured dialogues that are coming in really, really make clubs realise that they have to listen and it becomes compulsory. So I think as a fan, we need to speak up about it. We need to show that we care. We know from football fan-specific surveys that well over 86% of fans care about, you know, where we live, protecting those things, you know, like, like I said, air pollution, preventing uh, damage being done through climate change, but that isn't made visible. And so we need to start making it clear that we do care. You know, the football is really important to us and that won't continue as it is if players can't play in the heat. You know, as we saw, for example, with the tennis open last summer, you know, the US Open, we had Medvedev, one of the tennis players, saying that someone is going to die because the heat was so high there. So, you know, our game continues at the moment, but closer to home, we look at the number of fixtures that are rained off. And I mean, I think the FA estimated that there were 120,000 grassroots fixtures uh, that were cancelled because of weather linked to climate change. And we're talking grassroots there, but that is what feeds our pyramid. We've yeah. also seen clubs flooded recently. So, you know, we really need to utilise that power we have as a group of fans to really start to drive change and have clubs and governing bodies use the extensive power they have to to enact it, to really change the systems. Yeah, and just looking at uh, kind of like the systems as well, uh, I mean, next month the Champions League returns and uh, City have been Champions League regulars for for quite some time now. Is it is it possible to be a, a regular match-going fan in the Champions League and also be uh, be able to help the environment be green? Because it, it just involves a lot of flying, a lot of travelling. So this is a really interesting question. And in fact, I I did ask this of the CEO, CEO of Forest Green Rovers yesterday and the head of sustainability at UEFA, uh, Michele Juva, because I wondered what they thought of, for example, expanding football, expanding tournaments. Um, I actually asked Forest Green what they do if they qualified for Europe um, for exactly that reason. I mean... <sighs> We need systems change to enable the sustainable travel, don't we? The Euros this summer, obviously, they have included within those match day tickets uh, public transport travel and not just public transport for in country, but you know, Eurostar involved. And the inter country travel is also being considered there. They have even asked the football clubs to actually travel sustainably. So, yes, I mean, it's not an easy answer. Right now, if you were to follow your team religiously, you couldn't get to those to every single fixture through public transport, uh, you know, aside from flying. So it needs to be considered in planning for these fixtures, and it's not at the moment. So it's a difficult one. Um, but I think the thing is that fans want to travel, and this is a real way in which we can actually put pressure on and accelerate the infrastructural change that's needed, you know, making flying more expensive and making the train significantly cheaper. Yeah, I was I was going to ask in that sense. I mean, we we see uh, that the that the the structure of the Champions League will change next season. Um how drastically do you think football will need to change how it operates in order to to be able to help the environment? This is a great question again. I mean, at the moment it it has a significant impact does football. You know, there was a, you know, Back of a packet estimation done by 
the writer and journalist David Goldblatt and what he estimated as a carbon footprint of football was the same size as that of a small Caribbean island. Um, it's a really significant amount. So a lot needs to be done. I mean, now saying that, as a football community, A, we gain a lot personally from this and we have a huge amount of power to drive change through being part of this community. So we mustn't discount that. But, I mean, I think we need to balance up expansion with longevity of football. How long can football continue as it is on, you know, a planet that essentially is being impacted here and now if we continue to push that down behind financials in terms of priority. Um, so my current answer would be there's no way football can continue in its current state to expand. Measures need to be taken. Um, is there a possibility of truly sustainable expansion of tournaments? Who knows? The other thing is, you know, when we look at expansion of tournaments, is do fans and players want it? I mean, I know Football Supporters Europe, for example, have discussed this, have discussed whether fans want expansion. Um, and their conclusion was no. <laughs> uh, and that was not taking that had no consideration for environmental sustainability in that kind of objection they raised there. Um we've seen Klopp quit recently. <laughs> One of the things he has said is that he doesn't know what he's going to do, but there's no way he's going to manage another English Premier League side. And we know that a lot of that is down, obviously, to the intensity and just the degree of fixtures. So, you know, do we need to expand? Is it purely a financial thing? Is it for the fans? I don't think so. Um, can it continue in a way that isn't going to harm things? You know, those things that we hold dear? I, not in the way that it is now, no. Yeah. And uh, just, I mean, Katie, I don't want to, I don't want to finish on, on quite a, a bleak kind of outlook for the future, because <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's important to underline something that you said earlier on and that, and that is that fans have the power to, to, to change this, don't they? they that, that does, it, it's the fact that we have a voice means that we can lobby clubs and we can lobby governing bodies to, to be able to just kind of secure the future of the game, I guess. We have so much power to drive change. I mean, you know, if I ask you the question, like how many fans have spoken up about this? Very, very few. We, you know, we're partnered with the Football Supporters Association and we work with some wonderful supporters groups who are advocating for change specifically around essentially protecting where we play and the environment. But there's only a handful at the moment. And yet we know, as I said before, that of course huge numbers care about this. So imagine if if even a quarter of us turned around and decided to start questioning our clubs around sustainability, questioning our governing bodies, the pressure would immediately be felt. I mean, there's there's various stats like, so 25% of a group of people simply adopting a new social norm triggers a cultural shift, and that then feeds into the infrastructure. Now, that's not asking for much. That's literally adopting a new social norm. So maybe, you know, prioritising sustainability when you shop, when you, you know, buy your utilities, etc., I think it's only like 3.5% of a group of people actually protesting that again brings about that same shift. So, you know, we saw this with the ESL. Look at the power we had there. So it, fans have a huge amount of power to drive change for the better. Um, it's just having the time, the capacity to do it and finding other like-minded people because climate change is not something we talk about every single day. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. 
That was Katie from Pledge Ball. Uh, we're going to finish with a couple of listener questions now. Get in touch for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email through the website as well. Just go to bluemoonpodcast.com, fill out the form there. Uh, we start with Ian on Twitter who says, given his off-the-pitch antics, should Kyle Walker lose the captaincy? Um, uh, this is an interesting one, Adam, because... Um, like ultimately, you know, Walker's been in the papers this week. He then didn't play against Burnley, and Lewis came in and, and, and played really well. Um, could that be taken as Guardiola punishing him, or could it just be taken as the fact that he's rotating the squad because you know Walker has played a lot of minutes, like you said before? A hundred percent rotation. I've no doubt about that. Uh, and in terms of taking the captaincy off him, look, I think you have to have quite a cynical outlook on this. Uh, so my answer, it's, it's a difficult question to answer, but my answer would be. I can tell you this for a fact, none of the players will care about what's happened off the pitch. Mm. Um, so you have two ways of looking at it. You've got like, is it? how would it affect the squad? Has it affected you know, the morale in the dressing room? So for instance, when Maguire got stripped of the captaincy, that's probably because a lot of his teammates thought he was very bad at football. Um, and that's why that happened. So you make a captaincy decision based on how the dressing room are going to respond to something. And knowing what footballers' natures are like, <laughs> like what they can be like. I don't think they'll be too phased by it. It won't have affected the the goal of winning titles. Um, and then the other argument has been, that I've seen like being discussed on the radio and stuff, is like, is he setting a good example? And like, you know, when I think about when I was like to kids, I'm talking about here, like, because people use the term like, he's a role model and all this sort of stuff. Like when I was a child like growing up or like obviously most of my mates united was a successful team back then and like a lot of my mates were united fans and presumably like someone like wayne rooney would have been their idol he had a lot of off the pitch issues which i just think most kids aren't even aware of because they don't consume bbc news so like i i, I think in terms of like an exposure point in terms of his behavior i i, I don't know how many children will be getting wind of that or even understanding the situation at hand. So I think you've got to take quite a cynical approach when making like a sporting decision like that, if you know where I'm coming from. Yeah. Uh, so I would just leave it, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, Guardiola said, Chris, that um, like he, he won't do it because it's the players that elect the captain. And that kind of puts an end to it, doesn't it? It's a nice dodge as well, isn't it, for Pep? Flex response. I'm just the manager. I don't make decisions. But, but he, um, he did that about the set piece. That, that Alvarez goal from the, from the set piece. He was like, I don't have time to work out set pieces. Like the the set piece. That's why I celebrated with the set piece. Piece coach. He he does all that. Yeah. Um, what does he actually do, Guardiola? Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's just it's just a massive fraud. Um, but the the. the the Walker thing, it's its completely nothing to do with football. Does he deserve to be punished for what he's done? Yes. Does City deserve to be punished for what he's done? No. So just don't interfere with the football structure. If yeah. the players are pissed off with him, then they will vote him. I mean, they, they might all think that's absolutely terrible. We don't want you to be captain. And if that happens, then fair enough. Um, but it's not for, you know, the the baying crowd to to make the decision and as for role model i mean when you're a kid you look up to the way footballers play football you don't look up to the way they behave off the pitch it's like are they even interested in 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 that sort of stuff whether they're doing good things or bad things you don't really unless they're like visiting you in a in a hospital um it's like it's just not even relevant really if they're good at football you want to be like them doing that not anything else yeah. but yeah it's, I think uh, two completely separate issues and it feels bad saying no don't punish him because you know the 
the kind of moral side of you looks at like all these multiple affairs and like you think well that's out of order it needs to be punished but yeah I don't want him I don't, I don't want to be punished by it ruining the cohesion of a football team so yeah, <laughs> let, let, let it get dealt with in the right way and, and not on the pitch yeah uh, and finally for this week, Gareth on Twitter gets in touch to say uh, there are more and more plans to remove street parking from around the Etihad. After the Burnley game, I walked past gridlock on the roads from the car parks and I struggled to get to the game on time from work because I had to drive from my office. Do we as fans need to do more to lobby the club and the council to improve public transport links to the Etihad, especially with stadium expansions and the new arena hosting concerts nearby? Um, and Adam, this is something, I mean, I've, I've bumped into you on numerous occasions trying to get an Uber out of there. Um it's getting away from the stadium isn't easy, is it? No, I, do you know what? I don't think this is even just a city problem. Like I've like been to my fair share of grounds, and most in big cities. So, like uh, Tottenham's ground, for instance, or um, Old Trafford's a good example. I went to Celtic Park a few months ago. They're all a disgrace. <laughs> like you just can't get out of them. Like if they're out the way and there's dual carriageways surrounding somewhere, then like by default it's going to be difficult in terms of public transport yeah i think the services could be better but at the same time i'm not andy burnham so i'm not most best clued up on how (laughs) you would improve that do you know what i mean like it's the expansion of course isn't helping um but like I, I, i don't know if i should say this but what we did last night so usually when i go to games I'll go with like my dad and his mates and one of my mates and we'll get the train in early uh, and then we'll like go for a few drinks in town and get an Uber to the ground. And that's usually like the routine. Uh, but all the trains were on strike. So we drove for like the first time in probably like a year. And because the parking was that bad, we parked behind Mary D's to deliberately take the parking fine because that would have been like more convenient to pay the fine and then get out the ground. So you can cut that out if that's highly illegal. <laughs> All right, Mario the- Balotelli. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, maybe it's illegal. Maybe you've just perjured uh, yourself. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. We, 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 we paid it. It's, it was, it's a £30 fine, but like we honestly, the parking was that bad and like the access, I think we had to park near like, I think it's like Ashton Road usually, which is like a longer walk up. That might be wrong. But um like we because the weather was that bad we would just like get to the uh, close to the ground as possible and it was still a task so yeah it needs improving but i don't know how i'd improve it because i'm not i don't work in politics i'm yeah. sorry <laughs> chris there's a running joke between uh, our mates that when we meet up before the game if you if you want to get there if you want to have to walk for a mile and a half when you get there then yeah yeah take a lift with mooney but if not then uh, you know we'll all walk from town to the stadium um, mm. And like it, it, it is what it is. It's like the, the, there's fifty odd thousand people there. It's just not going to be easy to park, is it? That's it. No, um, but <clears throat> given that it's not one of these kind of organically grown amongst terraced houses, football grounds like you know Main Road or other city, you know grounds that have always been surrounded by houses there's a big enough space around the place to have better parking having said that you know people you know we're trying to discourage people from using using cars so i kind of get it what does need to be improved is like the metro i got the tram and um i got on at dane road and it took um i got on at like quarter past six which was later than i wanted to but i missed kickoff because it just took forever and there was a cracked rail in exchange square so there was a slight delay in a bit but it's it's always absolutely rammed um they could definitely 
invest a bit more in the infrastructure and make it more favorable and attractive to, for people to use the tram because it would it would i mean they can't fit much more people on it at the moment so that's why uh, people are still driving or to an extent because they're absolutely heaving and it, it, it took us about 50 minutes to get to st peter's square last night from dane road should take about 20 minutes it's just insane yeah so more there's, a lot, there's a lot of improvements and like like the um person who asked the question was saying you know there's a new a new stadium not a new stadium a new arena venue, yeah a new arena and there's probably going to be a bit of overlap in terms of events and it's just gonna it, it needs a lot more putting into it yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll kind of keep an eye on it, see how it goes. But for now, that's the end of this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Get in touch with your questions for future shows. Thanks also to my guests as well for this one, Chris Higginbottom. Thanks for having us. And Adam Monk. Thanks very much. There is a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up. It was our picks of the top 10 goals that we celebrated the most. Sign up to hear the full thing at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I'll be back next week to review the Brentford game and look ahead to Everton and the return of the Champions League as well. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. When he sort of lined it up on the edge of the box there, you're thinking, oh, it's going in this. You you can just sense it it, just the way it's sort of bent beautifully out of the goalkeeper's reach into that bottom corner I just remember going mental him my mate Pete again I'm giving him another shout out in his living room and he'd actually gone to the toilet and missed it so he just came running in uh, doing his pants up going ah! and then yeah the second one was like that really lifted the tension completely but I don't think I celebrated it quite as much as the first being in the position that you are at St James's Park you're very high up and I was in a fairly central position. So I had that moment of seeing the arc of the, the, the curve of the ball and the keeper's position. Probably when the ball's around the six yard line of thinking, oh, this is in. And almost being able to celebrate before you actually see the net ripple. It is up there with like the biggest releases because it's, it's comparable to title winning goals because at that point, I was naive enough to think like, well, this settles it. We're going to win this game now. Like, this is the way the season's going. QPR is going to be pretty easy. And obviously, you very quickly settle back into the tension of, oh, well, now we have to see this out. Now we have to actually win it. But that moment was absolutely enormous. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>